Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Birth Stories with me, Clemmie Hooper, created by Offscript. We talked about it ad nauseam, really, and I think we were both quite, not ambivalent, but just frightened, I think, in hindsight. We were travelling a lot and it never quite seemed like the right time. And then we probably decided to try for a baby for the worst reason, which was I was turning 35 and, you know, all those shouty headlines make you scared about it. So we sort of thought, well, it's now or never. The way that we mitigated our fear was to say to each other, right, well, we're just going to have one. I found out I was pregnant just before a month in New York by myself for work. So I just went to a random sonographer in New York and then he got this funny look on his face and he looked up from between my legs and was like, any twins in the family? I just instantly thought, I cannot believe this has happened. During that pregnancy, I was... The thing is, I'm a natural warrior and I'm, I'm a natural pessimist, but there was something about that sort of second trimester glow that overrode all of that. I felt strong, I felt healthy, I felt amazing. I felt like I could conquer the world. Hello, I'm Clemmy Hooper and welcome to Birth Stories, a podcast where I talk to amazing women about the fascinating and unique ways they had their babies. I'm a midwife and a mother of four and I also run a blog called Gas and Air, where women share their stories of childbirth. Just to warn you, this episode contains discussions about premature births. Today's guest is author and journalist Francesca Siegel. Francesca's written two amazing novels, including the award-winning The Innocents. Her new book, Mothership, which is a diary and memoir about the birth of her twins, came out in June. Francesca, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real treat. So we've talked a little bit about how you found out you were pregnant with twins, which is weirdly very similar to my own discovery. (laughs) These poor sonographers that have to um, break this amazing news. So you sounded like you really enjoyed your pregnancy. Like, I love what you said. You felt like you could conquer anything. I did. I felt like, um, you know, I was sort of, I had this tribe with me all the time. You know, I found out very early, I found out at my 12-week scan that they were girls. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I had this girl gang with me all the time and I just felt like we could rule the world together. So was the plan sort of between you and your, like, obstetrician that you were going to get to a certain amount of weeks and then discuss birth and delivery or had you already decided you wanted to have an elective section or a natural birth? What kind of happened? I kept heading it off and then I... um, And we had a few conversations about it and then ultimately I decided... um, He said he wasn't keen on me going past 37 weeks Mm -hmm. either way. And the statistics I was given were that if I tried for a natural birth, in 20% of cases, I would end up with a vaginal birth for the first baby and a C-section for the second. And I was already feeling slightly like the victim of unlikely statistics (laughs) with the identical twin pregnancy in the first place. So I thought, well, one in five is really actually quite a lot Mm. that's the way it sounded to me and so in my headspace then I thought I just want I've had so much unpredictability Mm. I just want a scheduled c-section on a date that's in my diary yeah 
because I thought, knowing my luck, I will have a 40-hour labour, forceps, and then a C-section afterwards. Which could possibly be the worst. Right, just the worst of all possible <laughs> worlds. I don't quite know why. I mean, that's my natural pessimism. I don't know why that was the birth narrative I took from the statistics I was given. 80% mm. of people who try would have had a vaginal birth for both of them and, you know, an empowering experience and something more positive than where my imagination went. But um, So, yeah, so I had a C-section in my diary. Um, or at least like a three-day window when the yeah. hospital would have given us. So you sort of planned your work schedules around oh, yeah. it. Absolutely. I mean, I that was... is the benefit for an elective section, isn't it? You can plan pretty much everything. Yeah, I was delivering my novel two weeks before. Amazing. Um, and my lovely editor, who is a mum of two, kept saying, don't you want to give yourself a bit more than two weeks? And I was like, no, I'll be absolutely fine. Two mm. weeks is perfect. Um, so they were, they were blocked in. You know, I would have a fortnight to wash baby clothes and yeah. watch daytime TV. And then I would, you know hop on the bus to the hospital <laughs> and um for the listeners who may or may not know there's obviously lots of variations of twins so do you know what yours were were they um mono were they di- mcda dcda so they did they share mcda so yeah they shared so, yeah a placenta yeah amazing um so that was how we knew early on that they were identical um, yeah so which was kind of an amazing you know knowing that there was one stage i just i don't know whether this i don't know how you think about this but I found it mind-blowing that there was a period of time when I was pregnant with one before it split. Yeah. And that one was neither of them. God, I've never thought about that. Yeah, there was a period of time, like, I don't know exactly how long, like, either a day or up to, like, five or six days when you were pregnant with just one and it wasn't either of them. It was just one thing. One thing. So mine are identical, but they were DCDA, so they were in their own sacs and had their own placenta. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is, I think, 8% of um, identical twins have their own placenta. So even as a midwife, when I was pregnant, um, people say they're identical, and I was like, oh, no, we don't think they are because they've got their own sac and placenta. And it was only after they were born, within sort of the first sort of 12 hours of really looking at them, and that we thought, oh, yeah, they they are identical. So in my pregnancy, I thought they weren't going to be. Oh, wow, that's what an amazing surprise. I know, well. so the egg would have split even earlier. Of course. Like you said, so it was one egg for a while and then split and made two placentas. I mean, the whole thing does blow my mind. It's, <laughs> it's, it's almost impossible to think about, I think, for too long before thinking. like It's almost like kind of, you know, science fiction stuff. Yeah, amazing. So with this elective C-section date sort of you know, that you'd put in your diary and put in your Google calendar for everyone to see. Had you started to buy anything? Like, I was quite superstitious in my pregnancy with the twins. Um, and I actually didn't buy very much until I had to buy it, which was towards the end. Where had you got to in that stage? Had you even packed a hospital bag? No, I didn't have a hospital bag. Um, I had talked a lot about how I should have packed a hospital bag. And I'd done all the things that with hindsight were totally useless and unhelpful. Like I'd sort of stood over my husband and shouted at him to construct a bed in the spare room because I was like, I'm going to want to sleep in there with a baby sometimes when you want a night off. And like, you know, and sort of I'd harangued him at 10 o'clock at night to build this Ikea bed. (laughs) Why that was a thing that I got sort of slightly obsessive about anyway. Um, So I had an Ikea bed in the spare room which was no help to anybody. And I think that might have been it, actually. Yeah. I had like sort of long shopping lists of things that I wanted, but I was also quite superstitious about it. The Mm. thing that we hadn't started at all, which turned out to be a disaster, was that we hadn't started talking about names. Oh. (laughs) Nothing. Um, I think we'd had one 10-minute discussion about it and thought, well, we'll put that off for for another day. I think it's hard naming a baby, but it's so hard naming two. And especially, I think, I find it difficult to pick a name for any of my children were born because you really have to see them. 
Um, so you got to what about twenty eight weeks? Everything was fine. You were still feeling well. Babies were growing well on scan. Yeah, totally fine. Yeah, um, every, they were always small, but they were always growing. Yeah. So I always got this slight sort of mm, they're very little, mm. um, and they were very little even for twins. But nobody was worried because they were tracking their curve, um, and they were sharing a placenta, which yeah. is amazing. And they were really similar in size as well. So we were kind of ticking off. You know, obviously the great fear with. Um, with identical twins who are sharing placenta as twin to twin transfusions and no sign of any of that they were just like you know growing beautifully but just a bit little yeah and we did have one with hindsight I kind of almost forgot it happened but we went to France um, when I was probably 26 weeks pregnant Mm -hmm. and um, I had a tiny bleed really there but really tiny like a spotting spotting and we phoned um, a really dear friend of ours who's an obstetrician handy and I know he is he has turned out to be good value um, thanks, Adam. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you know, is this, we were in the countryside and I was like, is this a go to bed situation? Is this a pop to the local doctor situation? Is it a get in the car and drive 90 minutes to Nice situation? Right. And he was like, you know what? I think it's a get in the car and drive 90 minutes to Nice situation just mm. to see what's what. So we went to the hospital in Nice and the midwife. How good's your French? Went, it got swiftly better yes. quite quickly. <laughs> not very good. But col is how you say cervix in French, I believe. I did not know that. Um, and they were sort of quite disapproving about the fact that I had come anywhere with twins on holiday right. at 26 weeks. But I was like, you know, my doctor said it was fine. Yeah, you um, had a letter to be a Yeah. And it was all off. totally uneventful. Nothing else happened. I wasn't in labour. There was no sign of any distress. So I just kind of lay around on a French labour ward for a couple of hours and then went back again. Was it nice? Um, it was quite nice. Yeah. They, were all, they, were, they took very nice care of me um, after their initial disapproval. And Good then I just know. forgot all about it um, mm. because it had been such a nothing. And this weird, uncharacteristic optimism just carried me through. So with hindsight, perhaps that could have been the start of something not going right. Um, on the other hand, I saw my doctor back in back in London when I got home and there was, you know, he was like, well, you know, these things can happen. Maybe yeah. you walked a lot. Maybe, you know. Yeah. Who knows? And so many bleeds that women have in pregnancy of that amount, we never know why. Right. And I think sometimes that can be as unreassuring as it can be reassuring when women come in for bleeds and we just go, we just don't know where this bleed's coming from. Right. Everything feels fine, looks fine. So then what happened at the next stage, 28, 29 weeks? So then um, at tw- I was 29 plus six mm. um, and I woke up in the morning, it was probably about five o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and I sat up and I just felt this gush and I thought, I've wet myself. Mm. That's it. My pelvic floor has gone in one spectacular moment. Um, you know, it lasted heroically till now. It's all <laughs> over. And then I turned the lights on and it was blood. Mm. And I thought, oh, this isn't good. Um, How much blood do you think it was? It was probably like, I don't know, like half a cup or something. Soaked through your pyjamas. Soaked through my pyjamas, soaked through the sheets. God, how frightening. Um, and then when I stood up and went into the bathroom, there were clots. Mm. Um, so I thought, oh, this isn't very good. So I phoned the midwives at the hospital and I was being very English. And I said, I've had a bit of a bleed. So she said, well, did you have sex last night? Yeah. I was like, no, it's not that kind. No, not a little post-coital bleed no no I um, like the way you said a bit of a bleed as well I had a bit well I kind of didn't want to cause too much trouble I had a bit of a bleed so she said did you walk a lot yesterday I was like no no I really don't think it's that sort of thing she said well you better come in did you say I've soaked through my pyjamas no because that's why I asked you that's what I always ask women like how much is it more than a period is it a teaspoon and if women say yeah I've soaked through my pyjamas or you know yeah no the pyjamas I think the pyjamas went in the bin wow you You must have been so calm I think I wasn't calm. I was just in complete denial. 
Mm. Both ignorant and in denial, which is quite a powerful combination. So how you had no hospital bag packed? No, nothing. So did you pack one there and then? No, no, no. I didn't. So you think just I trotted was get, off just, with your notes yeah. in a big pad. Yeah. Did you get an ambulance? No, no, no. I taxi. Just, taxi. Yeah. Uber. <laughs> in <laughs> central London. Uber. Yeah. And with your husband? Yeah. Okay. So this is the hospital you were booked at, so all your medical notes were there. So yeah. that must have felt quite reassuring. Yeah, it was very reassuring. And it was also reassuring because it then looked like it was just a one-off bleed. Brilliant. Um, and I got there and, I, you know, instantly I was hooked up to monitors and the babies were absolutely fine. There was no sign they were in distress. Um, and so Relief. I just sat there. Yeah. I just sat there, hooked up to these monitors for a couple of hours. Mm. Um, and it looked like it had resolved. And... Um, the consultant came to see me and said, you know, it, because it's twins, um, we have to keep you in for 24 hours after the resolution yeah. of any bleed. Um, but, you know, if it's stopped and it stays, you know, things are looking fine, we can mm. send you home. You just need to, like, take it easy. And did you think at that point, oh, I'll probably go home? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, and especially because I kept getting these sort of tantalite, you know, I'd get to like eight hours, nine hours without a bleed. Um, and at one point they said, well, you know, I think you're going to be going home soon. We're just keeping you here for a formality. So I popped out for a coffee. They let me go and, you know, walk around outside. And then, and it just kept happening. Mm. It just kept happening. And they were kind of varying from a heavy period to mm. what I'd had the first time. And um, then the accumulation then of blood volume is obviously quite a lot. Yeah. And then, um, and then I'd had sort of, you know, a good couple of hours of nothing. So I was moved back up to the antenatal ward because all this was happening on the labour ward. So then I was back on the antenatal ward for the night. Um, and then I went to the loo in the middle of the night. And that was when I had this just massive, massive lead. That was the biggest one. That was really? where I was just sort of standing in a pool. Really? Um, and did, what did you do? Did you pull the emergency bell in the toilet? I, well, no, not before trying to clean the floor. Oh, <laughs> I felt really bad for the cleaners. <laughs> So I kind of heaved myself down onto all fours to clean this, your yeah your blood. with this massive wad of those like really unabsorbent green towels. Oh gosh! And it was when I was on my hands and knees cleaning the floor that I saw the emergency toggle, and I thought, well, "That's clever. It's so long. You can get it from the floor." And then I thought, probably I should pull that. Did you? I think mm -hmm. might be time. So then I pulled the cord, oh. and um. And the lovely midwife came and was like, what are you doing? Get I was off. like, I'm cleaning the floor. She was like, get up right now. Oh, God. <laughs> like, really? Come uh, with me. And then I was marched back down to the labour ward yeah. and never left. So then did you think, this is quite serious now, did you think they're going to deliver them? Or did you think I might need to pack a hospital bag? <laughs> I'm still obsessing the fact that you hadn't packed I had a bag. nothing. Absolutely nothing ready. Um, I... At that stage, thought, do you know something? I didn't because that was when they came to give me the steroid shots. Yes. For those listening, steroid shots are given or injections um, are given to help mature the baby's lungs. So the mum will receive them and you have two doses. Um, so that was probably two or three in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, Gabe's really tired. It was a really stressful day yesterday. I'm not going to, because he'd gone home. There's mm. obviously nowhere on the antenatal ward for him no. to be. Um, and so I'd sent him home to sleep. And I thought I was going home the next day. And so even at two in the morning when they were giving me the steroid shot, I thought, well, I'm not going to disturb him. He should have a sleep. You're um, very considerate. You think of everyone before <laughs> before yourself, clearing up your own blood, sending your husband home because he might be tired. I thought this is pain to me, but we're in a better light. I think I was just, I was just mad with hindsight. Um, <laughs> so I didn't call him till sort of five or six in the morning when he obviously was then really cross with me because he was like, you know... It, stuff's been happening like what was I resting up for like yeah. you know I want to be with you where this is but mm. um 
so I had the steroids at two and then mm-hmm. and then I wasn't bleeding so then I had the whole of the next day again doing exactly the same thing of just mm. kind of sitting around thinking, well, I'm probably going to get home now and I've had steroids for no reason, but fine, you know. So how many weeks, you know, 29? I was th- exactly 30. So did you feel like you'd reached that milestone? It did feel like I'd clicked over into a different category. Because yeah. obviously when you look at statistics, that is, you know, a yeah. line. So I was like, well, I'm 30 weeks now. Mm-hmm. So that whole day, so the doctor came to see me in the morning and said... Um, we're going to fast you for surgery, just in case. Yeah. Um, but let's see how the day unfolds. Okay. Um, and so I, you know, if you're heavily pregnant with twins, not eating for the day is pretty challenging. And oh, it got to horrid. about, I got to about three and nothing had happened. So um, he came back and was like, you know, have some lunch. Oh. It's fine. It's all What did good. you have? Oh, I had my lunch and Gabe's lunch. I had two massive sandwiches. Amazing. It was amazing. Best I can remember every, <laughs> every, every mouthful. <laughs> Um, and then I had a muffin and half a day of pastry oh, man, and just go like a litre of water because yeah. I was also so thirsty. So I was sitting there in my hospital gown, covered in crumbs, stood up like, oh, thank God, and just bled all over the floor. Oh, God. <laughs> Are you still like chewing your muffin? I literally was like still stuffing the last Oh, no. Muffin. Well, I guess your consultant didn't know. <laughs> um, and he came back, he came back and I literally like the room was littered with sandwich boxes. And he was like, well... Just try not to vomit on the operating theatre. You yeah. knew then yeah. you were going. Yeah, he was like, this is like, I don't like the look of this. Yeah, so what time was that? That was probably um, half past three in the afternoon. Okay. So then they start preparing you yeah. for, for surgery, for yeah. your C-section. Yeah. And um, the hospital you had your twins at, they have a very, what we call high-risk neonatal unit, don't they? Yeah. So they had cots, which is always like a big risk with premature babies obviously they they need to go to special care so they had space for them yeah I mean these are the things that I obviously only know with hindsight yeah um because it was an emergency but it wasn't a sort of blue lights flashing um rush to the OR emergency um it was you know you're next in theatre when there's space for you basically um so there was time for one of the registrars from the neonatal intensive care ward to come up and talk to us oh that's nice and that was really amazing and that was I can pinpoint the minute that I started to think this is really serious really um because it was when because she was so kind to us and I just thought we are people that she feels sorry for in a really love I felt very supported and taken care of but I thought we she sees us as people in a medical emergency we must be in a medical emergency really and I was really really grateful that she came because in the end there were 12 additional bodies in the room there were six for each twin and these two massive incubators and I was prepared for the fact that this neonatal team would be there and I was also prepared for the fact that the babies disappeared so off you go into theatre yeah, which so, is very odd when you're not in labour. It I was think. it was really strange. So I remember staying. So I'd been so committed to this um, scheduled C-section, and then in the throes of this emergency, once I realised what was happening, I basically took the consultant by the collar and was like, "I will push out these babies if it's better. You tell me." Like I, you know, I was kind of totally prepared to just like give birth to them in the <laughs> corridor, and he sort of looked at me like, you know, they're both Frank Breach. You're right. hemorrhaging and you're 30 weeks. Yeah. Come with me to the theatre, please. And you're not dilated. Woman. Right, and you're not dilated at all. <laughs> Other than that, natural birth is a brilliant plan. Um, <laughs> but it's so funny how just in, immediately, oh, it's not funny, I suppose it's instinctive, but I just was like, whatever is best for these children. Yeah. And I just was kind of... That primal... Yeah. 
And um, and so then I was so great. I had the most incredible midwifery. The support that I had through all of this was just so, I'm so, so grateful. I remember everyone's names and faces. I will never forget Do them. Do you? But the midwife who came with me to, um, to theatre, because obviously they were still monitoring the babies and she was clamped to me. She was holding, as we were moving, she was mm. holding these, um, is it Dopplers? Are yeah. They? Holding the Dopplers in place. And the last thing she did before I walked into theatre was make me laugh, which I just thought was so generous because she literally turned me around and tipped me by the shoulders and said, I'm a midwife, I'm not meant to say this. Three words, box, fresh, vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. It was just so kind. (laughs) I just thought, you know, something like, she's just relaxed me at a point when it was almost impossible to be relaxed. Um, (laughs) And then... She was the person whose eyes I was staring into whilst I was having my spinal because she was crouching in front of me holding these Dopplers in place. So we were literally eyeballing each other. And I just thought that was such a like an act of generosity. (laughs) So I I walked into the operating theatre laughing. They must have thought I was mad. Yeah. So spinal goes in. Was that quite easy? Did it? Yeah, yeah. it was quite easy. That was actually the bit I found the most uncomfortable because I just really couldn't breathe. I was really hunched over. Yeah. Got this massive bump. And then theatre fills up quite quickly, doesn't it? There were a lot of people yeah. in there, really a lot of people. And then these two empty incubators standing there with teams around them, this like kind of military phalanx, and it just starts to feel incredibly real. And the actual process, so women always are shocked how quickly the actual, from what we say knife to skin, which is the start of the, the operation, to babies being delivered, is really quick. Yeah. Like there's no messing around. No, it's um, it was unbelievable how fast they were. Suddenly they were out. Yeah, and um, so twin one comes out first, presumably. Yeah. And what happened? Did they lower the screen to see her? No, she was just straight away no, onto the resuscitator. Um, the surgeon did lift her up for a second, um, which was I was so so grateful for because also I think that's quite unusual from then talking to the other mums on the NICU ward. Mm. Most other people hadn't seen their babies at all, um, so she was lifted up just for a second, um, and I saw this tomato red face, <laughs> um, and then whisked off. And did she cry? She did. Did yeah, she? A tiny, tiny little squeak. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a kitten. And then, obviously, her sister has to come. Yeah, and then her sister, and then the same face appeared again. <laughs> um, slightly smaller. Was she the smaller twin? Twin yeah. two, yeah. yeah. But only by, I mean, it was only 20 grams different oh, wow, between amazing. them at that stage. And I guess 20 grams when you only weigh kilos quite a lot. But, yeah. um, and then they were gone. And then, and then also, so were lots and lots of the adults who'd been in the room. So suddenly it felt very quiet in there. So did they transfer them out in the incubators? Yeah. And did you get to look at them before they transferred them no. out? No, they were gone so quickly. I mean, I got the impression that the most important things that were happening were not what was happening to me. Yeah. Um, And how did you then feel? Because that's a really weird thing. You've had a baby, but they're not in theatre anymore. They're not in the room. No, and there's actually quite a lot of stitching. and That bit takes longer than the actual delivery of the baby. Right, so I was just lying there. Um... We had a very nice anaesthetist who was very good. I guess anaesthetists are the ones who have to be really good at the chat. Yeah, so lots we had of chat. Lots of chat to distract people. So we talked very surreally about flat whites. They oh, were like nice. very much becoming a thing at that oh, stage. Really? So he was telling us he'd first had a flat white in New Zealand. Oh. Like he'd had an authentic flat white. I mean, and it's so, so English. You can actually sustain yeah. someone's calm by forcing them to make chit chat yeah. if they're sort of in the right so I was just saying oh how interesting flat whites in New Zealand thinking what the fuck is happening (laughs) to my life but both Gabe and I were very earnestly engaged in this conversation because you know if someone talks to you then you talk back yeah 
And then how long after um, when they were born were you allowed to see them? I didn't see them. So this was, I probably was wheeled into recovery about half past five. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see them until four in the morning. Because um, obviously after a spinal, you're, yeah. you so can't walk. The anaesthetist came into recovery and said, I'm going to give you diamorphine now. Um, Great. Yeah, you're going to enjoy it. I'm only giving it once. Um, and I just fell asleep. Did you? Um, Probably what you needed. I think it was. I think it was. With Gabe had been down to see them and I just was completely just wiped out. So he went first. He went first. And did you and take he, photos then? Yeah, he came up. So the, before I fell asleep, he showed me photos. And I just, I don't think I even fell asleep. I just sort of passed out. Yeah. Um, and then I woke up at four in the morning and I suddenly was like, it was like all the drugs had just completely vanished from my system. And I was like, get me to the NICU. And right how now. did they get you there in a wheelchair? No, I walked. You walked? Yeah. I insisted that they take out my catheter. Did you? I, I was, they were all slightly sceptical because she was saying, you know, we usually want it in for a bit longer than yeah. this and we haven't had the, sur- you know, the surgeon hasn't been around. Mm. I was like, I will take this thing out myself. Excellent. You don't take it out. So they did. Amazing. So you hobbled? I hobbled, clutching the wall to the lift. And then at that time in the morning, there's no one on reception. So I had to stand outside for ages waiting for someone to buzz me in. And then I didn't know where they were. And that was really, I think, there was something about being a mother who didn't know where to find her children that just felt, I suddenly just thought, this is everything about this is just wrong. And they didn't have names, obviously. And they didn't have names. So Um, they were just... So this, a, yeah, a junior doctor opened the door and said, well, I think the new twins are in nursery one, come this way. The um, new twins? Yeah. And they're your babies? Yeah. Your daughters? What did they look like when you saw them? They had them, they were on their tummies. Mm-hmm. Um, they were positioned on their tummies and they were in, by then they were in um, CPAP hats. And so like full mask over their nose and mouth, white cotton hat to hold the mask on, um, sunglasses for the jaundice lamp. Um, were they already under lamps? They were already under lamps. Um, and then just a nappy, because they don't put clothes on them when they're so tiny. Um, so they were, at the same time, the most beautiful things I'd ever seen, and also completely unseeable, mm. because their whole faces were... I mean, they might as well have been in motorcycle helmets for all I could see of them. <laughs> I mean, they do look a bit like they've got kind of headgear on, don't yeah. they, when they wear... Did you have this instinctive need to have them together... Did you feel that they should have been together in the same incubator? Yeah, I did. It mm. felt really, really strange to have them wrenched apart like that. It felt to me like the, it felt like there'd been two losses. I mm. think there was my, them having been wrenched from me and then having been wrenched apart from each other. And, you know, I'd seen Grey's Anatomy. I'd seen <laughs> them put tiny babies together in an incubator and I I, I longed for them to be mm. sort of face to face. Yeah. So when babies are born prematurely and they go to special care, um, the doctors tell most parents kind of to expect to take your baby home around their due date. Was that the case for your twins? Yeah. Um, I don't think we were told that very early on. I don't think we were told anything in those first sort of 48 hours. Mm. I kept expecting someone to kind of come to me and give me this sort of, you know, overview of what was happening and actually I think when there is this sort of crisis unfolding there just isn't time for that so a lot of what I learned over that period was kind of almost gleaned from just trying to sort of intuit what was happening and then also a lot of it was from other mothers I spent so much time in the in the expressing room in the in the milking shed of the hospital and other women in there were just this amazing source of information so I think it was really from them that I started to understand 
oh, they're really not coming home anytime mm. soon. I mean, that should have been obvious to me, but I'm not sure it was. But yeah, and then once we did have these sort of franker and more extended conversations with the doctors, it was very much, you know, you can focus on, we don't make promises, mm-hmm. but um, once they're stabilised, if everything's going, you know, reasonably according to plan, then imagine their due date as, you know, the time when you might be able to go home. Yeah. So how long did um, they spend in the neonatal unit? They were 56 days in hospital. Um, wow. It's a long time. It is a long time. Um, It felt like a lifetime. It really Mm. was a lifetime. It felt like they lived a lifetime there and then sort of almost started over when they came home. Yeah. So 56 days later... Yeah. ...the day came. Yeah. Um, Yeah, they don't... The consultants are very good. They don't like to let you get your hopes up too Mm. much and they don't sort of over-promise. But we'd known probably that they were coming home for three or four days. um, So we had a bit of time to prepare. And I had sort of at that stage demanded to take them home and um, they still had nasogastric tubes so they still had feeding tubes in mm. but I had really I'd felt myself undergo a transformation during that those 56 days I had gone from being very very passive to really feeling finally like I was a mother to these children and like I could make decisions and ask for things and I basically just sort of demanded to take them home <laughs> um, and um and yeah and so eventually um you know we were going into the hospital with two car seats Amazing. Did you finally pack that bag? I finally packed the bag. I finally bought some baby bits. Yeah. But um, still quite tiny. Were they in newborn sizes by then? They were still in tiny baby, actually. They came home at around about um, four pounds each. Wow. Um, so, but they felt enormous. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and how did it feel bringing home your twins? It was just, it's sort of indescribable, really. I think that was that was my birth as a mother I think really you know they had been you know they were born 56 days earlier and all of a sudden finally I could care for them and you know all the staff I cannot emphasize enough how incredible the support was and the care that we had was and I was grateful every day for the NHS and for the incredible people who worked there but their competence and expertise meant that there was often very little for me to do Mm. Um, and you know the best neonatal nurses are the ones who empower the parents as much as possible to take on as much of the care as they can Mm. but still you know you're supervised you're on a feeding schedule that is dictated by the hospital you know you change nappies on a schedule really and so to then be able to go home and say these are my children I get to choose I can decide it was just it was just magic if you can hear little squeaks and slurps we've got Francesca's um, third baby her third daughter's here who's 12 weeks now yeah exactly 12 weeks so she's just coming in for her feed um, so in each episode of Birth Stories, my guests and I are going to take a question. If you're up for it, Francesca. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> right, here's this week's question. I was convinced I'd have a girl and I'm flabbergasted it's actually going to be a boy. I'm just not excited anymore and I'm worried that I'll not be able to love the baby when it is born. Am I a terrible person and mother? Well, obviously we've both got girls, all girls. Yeah. I think gender disappointment is a really big issue. Oh, I think it's huge. And people Um, don't talk about it for this exact reason, for the fear of being judged. Well, I mean, little girls imagine, you know, the family that they're going to have from when they're tiny. Yeah. And so it's entirely possible that this is upending an image that she's had of 
the family she would have created from when she was five. Yeah. So I think it's totally legitimate to feel totally sideswiped. It's not what you expected. No, I do too. I mean, it's hard for me to predict, but I think when your baby is born, that maternal instinct to love your baby no matter what, whatever gender you know, whatever colour hair they have, you you do, you just love them. And even if you don't necessarily have that love straight away, the instinct to protect and nourish. And I think it's really good to probably talk maybe to a partner about this as well and talk about kind of managing expectations maybe and how, okay, it's not a girl this time. You may go on to have girls or you may go on to have four boys and, you know, this child, this baby will give you so much joy and what else can you think of? What would you thought of if you'd had the gender you didn't want? I think I think it's a common enough experience that mm. talking to other women, there mm. will be other people that you know who felt exactly the same way, mm-hmm. who wanted daughters and now have got big strapping boys that are, they wouldn't trade for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and mums of boys are convinced boys are the best. I would actually love a boy. I'd be amazing. <laughs> I'd love a boy. <laughs> yeah. Are boys nicer to their mothers as well during and, I mean, the imagine teenage years? Pity us. That was exactly what I was going to say. Pity us <laughs> yeah. 10 years from now. We've got all these daughters that are just going to be vile to us as teenagers. Yeah, I mean, I think back to how I was to my mother and I, I just know. thought I was poisonous. Absolutely I don't know vile. how she didn't sell me. I know. Um, obviously, you can't plan or predict anything. I think you and I are probably both good examples of that. You wanted just one baby and got two and I wanted just one more and got two. So I think there's a lot to be said for you do just cope and deal with what you've been given. Absolutely. And and it's awful. But, you know, if you'd asked me before, would you, you know, you could have twins, what do you reckon? I would have said no way. And it's completely unthinkable now to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yep, same. Um, I wanted three children and I've got four. And I'm so proud that I've got four daughters. So I think she will, I mean... It's probably very unsettling to feel this. And it's so easy. Also, we find a million reasons to say, I'm a terrible mother. I'm a terrible mother. I haven't even had my baby yet. You just can't beat yourself up. No, there are lots of other guilt mothering moments. Yeah, (laughs) it's just the first of many. Thank you for sending that question. I think it's really brave and honest of you to admit that. But um, as Francesca and I both think, it's not uncommon. And I think talking to other women, if you feel you've got a friend or a colleague that you can confide in, and share your feelings, I think you'll be surprised how many other women also feel the same. If you'd like me to answer your question on the podcast, please email birthstoriespodcast at gmail.com. Francesca, thank you so much for coming in and telling us the twins' birth story. Um, What do you want to plug? Tell us more about Mothership. Um, So my memoir of the 56 days that the girls were in hospital, Mothership, um, is really a love story to the girls, to the amazing staff of the NHS who took care of us, and mostly um, to the other mothers on the ward. Um, It's a love story to my friends, to the incredible group who I met on the ward who kind of got each other through. It's absolutely beautiful. I read it twice. Um, And is there somewhere people could go and see what you're up to, any events you might be doing? Um, Yeah, it would all be on um, Facebook and Instagram. So Mothership is out now in Harback. Yep, in all good bookshops. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Birth Stories with me, Clemmy Hooper. Remember to subscribe on your favourite podcast app so that you can listen as soon as the podcast comes out each week. And please rate it and leave a review if you have time. You can find more birth stories on my blog, Gas and Air, and you can find me on Instagram at Mother of Daughters. Birth Stories was produced by Hannah Varrell. 
and created by Offscript. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 